And therefore, the, of course, the complete opposite is true. If you can touch and help or touch people's lives, many people's lives, then you will have had a good life because it will have done lots of things and, and also hopefully good things because you can, of course, touch people's lives in a very negative way as well. But I believe that's what human life is about, is really to help human life. It's about perpetuating human life or life more generally, if you don't want to be kind of too speciesist. But I think that for me, caring for other people is a completely natural, normal thing to do. Sometimes we're kind of told that we only care about ourselves. We're selfish creatures. And I'm like, we can be. And sometimes we're taught that that is a valuable thing. And sometimes sport teaches you only to value yourself. But actually, I think the value in life is how it affects other people. And therefore, to me, again, to be true to that proposition, you have to look out for other people and help them or reduce harm and create care. That to me is sensible and just normal. (laughs) And that's what I think is important to do now, because this to me, climate and ecological emergency, the health of our planet is the foundation upon which everything else rests. Welcome to the award-winning Leadership in the Environment podcast. We guide you to living better by your values. We bring you relevant views on important topics without doom and gloom. We focus on awareness and action. It's about bringing fun, community, and connection to your everyday life. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and turning on notifications. Let's do this. I met today's guest, Etienne, on a holiday conference call of an organization called Flight for UK, which celebrates what life brings when we enjoy people, culture, cuisine, and so forth around us, not all the way around the world. Now, the concept would have sounded crazy to me before trying avoiding flying, but everyone in that call made that transition. Etienne spoke joyfully about his working with Extinction Rebellion in the UK, and that joy was a wonderful contrast with two things. First, his Olympic gold medal. He and his teammate overcame a huge deficit to win in front of a home crowd in London. So it was amazing. I'll link to the videos for people to watch it. I should add, it came after an injury months before that that left the tiniest window for him to recover from and retrain from to be able to make it in the games at all. The second was that the joy he spoke about getting arrested in civil disobedience, acting with Extinction Rebellion. Naturally, I wanted to talk to him about both of these things. If you know me, you know I love the parts of sports, athletics, and competition that help us reach our potential, physical, mental, spiritual, what we're capable of, and often surpass the imagined limitations that we had to learn more about ourselves, to reach new limits as individuals and as humans. So of course, I asked him about sports in the Olympics. Then we spoke about the passion we share on stewardship and leadership, not just passively watching what's happening, nor accepting that it's hard or undesirable, but acting finding joy, connection, and community in it. Here's Etienne Stott. Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with Etienne Stott. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. It's a lovely, sunny, wintry day here in the UK, looking out my uh, my window, and I'm looking forward to going running a little bit later. And yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting with you, Josh. Great. And we met I guess it was, what, a week or two ago at the, it was Flight Free UK's holiday party online. Yeah. So two people not flying met across an ocean. <laughs> it's, not flying isn't so bad. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it's interesting. I mean, um, Anna Hughes, who, who set that up, is, you know, a friend of mine and, and I think, you know, really, really interesting concept and a really, you know, she's very dedicated and, and, and I'm flight free as well. And I think it's a really good thing to do. And it was cool to meet you there and, and to find a little bit more about you subsequently. So yeah, it's a, it's a small world when you've got Zoom. So if someone were to look you up online, they would find up to about 
2013, 2014, there's a lot of stuff about you in the Olympics. And then suddenly, then there's a kind of break a bit. And then suddenly there's about you getting arrested. And I want to go over different parts. And the first part about the Olympics is to me fascinating because I love sports so much. And, uh, and you want a gold medal at home. I want to get into that experience, but I want to first say that, that, um, my first experience with Olympic kayaking, which I'm not sure if exactly the same as canoeing was when I was in college playing sports myself, a teammate of mine who then became, we founded a business together later on. He talked about his brother was going for the Olympics in kayaking. And he spoke about how he, he would measure how his effort was relative to blacking out. Like one would be like just paddling lightly and 10 would be blacking out. And I think he said he never got above like a four or five, but he was shooting for an eight of like, and i never thought that was my first experience of like, this is a, an intense sport and you're doing it with a, a teammate. So there's this huge element of teamwork. I mean, it looks really, uh, what's the word? I mean, intense, but dedicated. And I'm trying to look at the teamwork element of it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, you'll, you'll hear no uh, arguments from me. I, I, I think the sport that I did, I was very lucky to do it. It's a brilliant sport. So I do, I do white water slalom, which is probably I'm, I'm, from what I'm guessing from your friend, they probably flat water sprint kayakers, uh, which is on a flat water, just straight line. But I was going down the white water with, the energy of the water to drive us. So it's a little bit more akin to kind of like skiing or something like that, where you're harnessing, effectively you're harnessing gravity, the energy and gravity in the water and you're using that. But we did also do some training where I can tell you, you know, afterwards I you used to be really, you used to be scared about this training session that we used to do for like a week beforehand because it used to be so painful and miserable and I remember sometimes after this training session, you're fit for nothing, you know, everything hurt, just wanted to lie down in the shower and, you know, just lie down for a few hours afterwards because you just felt really bad and you can actually feel your body, you know, we're pushing the levels of, you know, lactic acid, you know, in your body to very, you know, high levels to the point that you can't tolerate it where you're, you know, this acid is going to be attacking your organs, your tissues, I guess, is why it hurts so much. And you're looking to push into that as far as you can for as long as you can, because you know that if you do that, you'll be able to do it more easily when you're racing and push harder when you're racing, which means you go faster, which might mean you be more successful. So yeah, I've been kind of been there and done that. And I had a long career, you know, I, I, I was training at a pretty high level about 20 years, you know, my, I was a full-time athlete for, for, yeah, for quite a while. So I've, I've been around the block there. I, I wouldn't say potentially the training is quite the same as like rowing or something like that, where it's literally entirely physical. The training we did was because we were doing team sport, very technical, very much to do with techniques, learning white water skills. It was an entirely physical, but the, the challenge with that is mentally challenging, frustrating, complicated, bewildering, yeah, very, very difficult. So yeah, a really amazing sport, hugely complicated, you know, challenging psychologically as well as physically. And I, you know, I loved it. I think it was, it was great. I'm very lucky to have had the chance to do it as much as I did. <laughs> You're describing this technical, although I could have imagined you also saying finesse because it, I mean, when you're using gravity and the waves, these forces are much greater than you. Yeah, it's absolutely, you know, you're blending, you know, the power of white water is, 
huge, you know, like, I don't know if you'll ever have considered it, but one meter cubed of water weighs a ton, uh, a metric ton. And we're harnessing that water. So the energy in water is huge. You know, if you have someone throw a bucket of water at you and that hits you in the chest, you'll feel it. You know, that's the sort of power that we're holding on to. It's hugely physical. But then there's the rhythm of the water and you can't fight the water, really. You're not strong enough. So it's all about harnessing that power and knowing when the water's asking you almost to pull hard on it. And also sometimes the water's telling you, I'm not going to have you here, you know, get out of my, get out of my space. And you've got to, you know, you've got to work around it. So it's a really interesting ebb and flow of energy, which I think is fascinating because again, when you're trying to race, you can't try too hard. You can't push too hard. Otherwise you squander your energy and you, you get it taken away. So it's a really fascinating, yeah, really fascinating sport. I love, you know, and racing is also incredibly an extra level. And again, when the team is there as well, you've got your teammate like Tim or, or Mark, my two crewmates, you got, you're working with those guys as well in their energy. So it's really, yeah, brilliant. I'm hearing some prelude of what came later, which I'm, I'm still going to hold off on the working with the natural world and working with humans and people to, to improve the natural world. But I, I want to go back to, um, you won in 2012, but you narrowly missed 2008. And I would guess that biologically speaking, you're probably, maybe your body was more peaked or closer to its peak in 2008. I'm not sure. But you gave a talk in which you said we weren't as good as we thought we were. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I suppose the interesting thing, again, in a more technical sport, like what we're doing, you know, as you, as your physical capacity reaches its peak and starts to decline, which is probably in your early twenties for, you know, male athletes in terms of power output you're starting to increase your technical and tactical awareness, you know, so, and, and psychological, you know, your skill base and all that. So in 2008, yeah, I probably was physically potentially better, although I'm not totally sure, you know, but by the time we won in 2012, we were at our peak really in terms of technical understanding, physical, pretty close to that, but, you know, knowledge of myself, knowledge of each other, knowledge of our sport was really, really great. And that, you know, the reason we won, I believe, in, in London was because we we were able to bring our best game to the day and other crews perhaps were not able to do that as well as we did. So we basically, you know, performed to a very high level of our potential, whether in the 2008 build-up to get to the Beijing Games, we just weren't good enough to able to release our skills and our abilities on that high pressure kind of moment. Um, Whether in London 2012, we really managed to develop and bring our best skills to that day, you know, and, and put them out there on a, on a day, which was yeah very intense and challenging for everybody. And I'm sure you've answered this question a million times, but the, the feeling of before doing the race, I mean, you're at home. I mean, you're in your home country, you've got the fans, have you described that feeling too many times that you get bored of it or is it? No, no. I mean, it's an interesting thing. People would describe, I would say that in the build up to the race, we were all about taking care of our business really. And in, in terms of preparing for the Olympics, it's about making it as similar to your usual race as you can so that you can basically do your usual method, which you hope is a good method, which you hope will be successful the thing that we didn't or that I we didn't really know about or didn't fully appreciate was what was going on in our country 
we before the Olympics started in in UK, you know, there was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of fear, probably in the public. You know, were we going to make fools of ourselves as a nation? You know, all that. And as athletes, we were also like, you know, are we going to fall on our faces? You know, on the greatest stage. But as the games began, and once a couple of medals had been won you know, the British public started to settle, I think, and started to feel like it was going to be all right. And we were also completely focused on doing what we wanted to do. And we realised, well, we spent a lot of effort preparing ourselves psychologically to just deliver what we could, no matter what the occasion was. And when we won, we realised we had contributed to a truly historic period in the UK. You know, I think it's kind of, I don't know, we can call it a high watermark, but it's certainly a, a mark that, you know, people in this country, to a person that I've ever met, remembers that period in London, you know, in 2012, with a warm vision in their eyes and a warm feeling in their hearts, because we were very united in, in this really amazing time. And when I look back and when I think about it, we were contributing to that. We fed into that and we fed off of it as well. But really, up until the point that we did our race, we were just there to do our thing. It was only afterwards that we realised we were involved in this basically epic period in, in our lives, in our history, you know, in, in Britain's history almost. It's amazing to hear it. I mean, the global things happening and you are just making your life, making it ordinary, more prelude of what's to come it feels yeah i mean look you know i kind of explain to people some of the things one of the things that i'm very good at one of the things i've been lucky enough to do is to organize my life and have the support or the power i suppose to organize my life to pursue the things that i find meaningful and interesting to me and i was lucky in in you know, in my life that I've got the chance. And I mean, work ridiculously hard for it as well, no doubt. But there's a lot of good things has to happen for you to be able to be at that place at that time in the London Games being good and all that sort of thing. And I just basically, I'm a believer in making decisions towards things that are important to you. And, you know, I believe that if you make consistent numerous decisions in favor of a particular outcome that you have in mind you stand a much greater chance of achieving that outcome and that's really what sport is about and that's what to me my activism is about as well so you know in sport over a long period of time I tried to make decisions that I thought would help me to become a champion and in the end I was lucky enough that those decisions did mount up to become a champion or that you know we're never guaranteed to that for that to have happened but you know I'm yeah I think that that you know, the only thing you can be sure that will not work is if you don't try everything else, you may as well have a bash at. So that's kind of why why I come at it. And one last thing I want to ask about the sport part before transitioning to the activism part is I'm really curious about the teamwork. What's it like? I mean, obviously you're not talking to each other. I presume that you've practiced enough that you kind of know exactly what the other guy's going to do, but everything's different. Mm. What's it like that communication? Can you describe it? So yeah, we don't communicate when we're racing, but we spent a lot of time working. I mean, I think the way I explain this is like, you have a shared experience of something, you make sense of that experience and you learn from that experience together. And then the next time you come to that something similar, you have a both a shared reserve of understanding that makes you think, well, we'll do it like this this time. And then you do it. So in, in canoeing, my teammate first of all my crewmate Tim and my second crewmate Mark we spent a lot of time 
basically doing something, talking about it, working out what was good about it, what was bad about it, what we wanted to do next time, and then going out and doing it again. And then if it was better, good, then we learned from it. And if it wasn't, then we learned from it. And it was kind of like this cycle. So eventually, I would suggest you almost, we shared, I don't know if you can't ever slice our brains open and see it, but you know, there would be a big part of our brains were wired probably in a very similar way because we'd been in the same boat experiencing the same things going through the same ups and downs the same technical aspects experiencing them making sense of them learning from them and growing from them in the same way so I'd say suggest they're probably very similar and you know I had a very 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 close relationship with my crewmates because that's just we spent hours and hours and hours trying to figure something out together the same way so we could race together and you know again very fortunate to have done that because you know these are good people that I've spent a lot of time with as well I'm lucky you know very lucky I would imagine that it would also be other parts of life of like you probably know about his relationship with his parents and what's going on in like what books he's reading and you're sharing those things does that translate into how you perform on the water yeah I I would say very much I mean some in some sports you get kind of teams or crews formed of kind of necessity sometimes they are brought together by a you know a third party like the coach picks the team or something like that but in my case and in our sport the canoe doubles crews you know I, I basically got to paddle with my best friend in the canoe and the relationship that I had with my crewmates was probably one of the strongest and biggest factors in success because when you're really sharing the same values, sharing a similar outlook, sharing principles and ideas about how things should be. You share a deep trust. You share kind of reservoir of a vision, of an energy that you want to bring. It means that you are, yeah, you're together, you know. So for, for me, you know, my I can hand on my heart say I wasn't the best athlete in terms of pure physical, technical prowess, whatever. But when I was with a crewmate, you know, as a one plus one makes three kind of scenario, the relationship I had with Tim and the relationship I had with Mark was very, very good. And that meant that we felt, I guess, probably, you know, psychologically safe to give ourselves to this mission. Each of us gave everything we could to this task. And that meant that released a huge amount of energy. And because we felt good about that, it meant that we would have a better chance of being successful when I'm not sure it would work the same way with someone that we didn't have the same trust and the same appreciation and love and care for, really. That's what it's about, you know. We were racing for each other, for ourselves. And, you know, it's a remarkable, lovely thing to get to do, really. Yeah, the word that pops into my head is transcendent. It sounds just like at another level from everyday life. I absolutely do. Some some parts of sport. I mean, it's one of the reasons that I did sport very relatively early on, I suppose. And very especially towards the end of my career, I wasn't doing sport for the sake of getting good at going down river rapids. I was doing sport for the sake of the experiences and things that I would learn about human endeavor, about myself, because inevitably at the end of the day, all endeavors come down to you versus yourself as such, or how much you can get out of yourself, how much you can be liberated in yourself to be able to, you know, be free of fear and be able to, you know, pour out all you can, all your energy into this, all your spirit into something. And yeah, definitely by the end of my career, I just wanted, I was very interested. I love sports still, but a reason I was continuing to do it is I thought there was something to learn here about myself, about, endeavors about 
working with other people that was the reason and you do because you're dedicating your entire life or your mind's energy into it you do transcend you do go up a very high level because you know normal life is full of distractions full of other things to do whether in sport you systematically and deliberately strip all those things out and put your time and energy into doing that one thing that you want to do and of course you end up getting to a really interesting place because normally real life is very demanding you know I don't have children but I can see you know having kids and a job and all that sort of thing it means you don't get the chance to explore these parts of yourself in in quite the same way because it's just real life is tough um sports is tough as well but it's a toughness that you're dedicated to doing on your own you're making that choice and so I think it's really it is really interesting and, and that's why I think sports is very inspiring and worthy because you do get to explore human yourself humanity in it in quite a deep way if you're going to be good at it i believe i really hope we continue this part of the conversation and i'm going to painfully tear away from this part even as as much as i want to go into it yeah don't get me started josh you know once i get started i could go on all day I, i want to hear it but my understanding is that you then went as an alternate to rio and what my read is that you start picking up on some patterns in the world outside of sport of the land, the water, and something starts and ultimately leading to not flying, to getting arrested with Extinction Rebellion. What happened? Can you describe that, that transition, if that's the right word? Yeah, I mean, I still, I still kind of I struggle. I don't have like watershed moments really where I said, this is what needs to happen. That's what needs to happen. Obviously, you know, taking part in nonviolent direct action, choosing to get arrested, that's kind of watershed moment, I suppose. But building up to that, all I kind of know is that, you know, I started off canoeing, kayaking in the scouts. You know, I, I got to you know, bash around in natural places, you know, forests and running around and the hills and things, doing all that. And I even thought that was wicked. And then in sport, of course, my sport is very much nowadays based in artificial man-made courses in cities, but do get to visit some really amazing natural places, you know, in the Alps and the Pyrenees. And I've been, you know, some really cool places. And just over time, you know, and I guess just, I just, you know, a lot of people have a general concern for the environment I guess and I did do that but I started to become more and more interested in it and just started to see like how can I behave consistently with what I'm learning here and so even as an athlete in my time as athlete by especially towards the end I was starting to struggle thinking you know I'm flying a lot here you know and this is pretty tough you know and Again, like one of the visits I did to to Rio, you know, just seeing the social consequences of sport and, you know, the, the, the way people live around the world when we're, you know, completely ensconced in this amazing mission of getting better at canoeing. There's a really, there's people living very tough lives out there. And I found it all to be, you know, more and more challenging. I guess that, you know, that phrase cognitive dissonance or something, you just find it challenging not you know, to turn your head away from what you see. And I guess one of the interesting things about sport is you're almost trained to not do that. You know, in sport, you kind of say, you know, you see the results list and you can walk away or you can look at the results list and go, right, this is what I need to do next time. And you kind of figure out what it is to kind of uh, address this challenge that you're facing. And I, I found this very much, you know, there's challenges that I started to see. I just was like, you know, how how can I live in this world without, knowing recognizing 
what we're doing right now. We, you know, we're on this suicidal, insane path. And now I've seen it. I can't unsee it. I can't not act. It's like saying, you know, I want to win a gold medal and then just going home and sitting and watching TV. No, if you want to go and win a gold medal, go to the gym or, you know, go and practice your sport. That's how it works. And in a way, I just started to find it, you know, more and more. So by the end of my career, by the time I finished in 2016, I pretty much, I, I decided very quickly I'd be a vegetarian straight afterwards because I was like, I've been eating a lot of meat, you know, for protein and all that sort of thing. And you know, I, I see very different thoughts about that now. And then I, and then a, f- a little while later, I was like, right, you know, I'm flying, you know, I think I can live without it and, and things like that. And, you know, then becoming an activist, I never quite saw myself as becoming an activist, but I did always see myself as wanting to leave the world in a better place. And my kind of, my idea when I retired was to work as a, you know, work with young people, you know, from disadvantaged backgrounds, work with anybody, in fact, who, where I could perhaps offer some of the experiences that I've come into to release that human potential, that, you know, amazing power that human beings have. And I was like, that's what I wanted to do. And I still massively believe in human potential. I believe human beings are amazing. But unfortunately, we're in the situation where all human potential is going to be very much stymied and the amazing things that we could do are going to be, you know, the ideas that we have for ourselves and our future are not quite going to work out in the trajectory that we're following. And I started to realise, actually, I can't authentically be talking to people about their future and helping them towards a future that I'm not sure exists in the way that we think. And that's when I started to really start to make changes to what my life plans were because I realized my plans in life were not sensible given what we're doing, you know, given, given where we are in the world, given, given what's happening to our planet. So you grew up in a world that said, Oh, after I reached the pinnacle of, of this competitive success, athletic success, I will help others get there. Yeah. And then you're like, wait a minute, if I help them in that, meanwhile, there's this huge climate change, plastic, mercury, and everything going on. And you're like, I feel like um, you probably most of your life were like, oh, this is kind of a little bothersome thing over here. And then at some point you're like, no, I have to turn and face this thing. Yeah. I mean, it stands in the way of every single person, you know? So I I wasn't just, I was actually not that focused on sport. I wanted, I was going to help people in sport, but I was really convinced of the power of this knowledge that we gained in sport to be doing good in society, you know, to be helping other people to live you know, to release themselves and be liberated and be able to do what they want. And I just was like, this isn't going to be like that. You know, we're facing, you know, I believe and my understanding is is fairly clear. When we, when we hit these tipping points, 1.5, 2 degrees tipping points, we're facing the collapse of our society. You know, when these things get out of hand, things are going to get really horrible and really ugly. And I cannot with the care and love that I have for my community, the people I love in canoeing, the people I love in my life, the people just, I love every, you know, I love, you know, the world, humanity. If you have that care, I believe it's difficult to not recognise that this is going to be in the, you know, this to care for them. You've got to, you've got to recognise that we have to do something about the climate and ecological emergency because of all the other things that you wanting to do that you care about people for, they're going to go really much worse when this all kicks off. 
So that's why I felt compelled, really, duty-bound, really, to be authentic to what I wanted to do. You can't do one thing unless you do the first thing. So that, to me, is where I ended up. The way you're talking about it's it's caring for others. The idea, like, people with flying, they're like, Josh, you're missing out on the Eiffel Tower in Machu Picchu, and you're not going to get to see all these other cultures. I'm like, I'm connecting with the cultures more. This is, there's more caring. It feels like, um, it feels like you have a similar experience. Yeah, I mean, if I'm being kind of really honest about it i suppose i underneath it all i believe the the value of human life is the impact that you have on other people really um because if you don't impact anybody then it's like you didn't exist you know if you weren't remembered by anybody if you didn't touch anyone else's life you did not exist because you will not have changed anything and therefore the of course the complete opposite is true you know if you can touch and help you know, or touch people's lives, many people's lives, then you will have had a good life because it will have done lots of things and, and also hopefully good things because you can, of course, touch people's lives in a very negative way as well. But I believe that's what human life is about, is really to help human life. It's about perpetuating human life, you know, or, or life more generally, if you don't want to be kind of too speciesist. But I think that for me, yeah, being caring for other people is a... is completely natural normal thing to do sometimes we're kind of told that that's you know we only care about ourselves we're selfish creatures and i'm like we can be and sometimes we're taught that that is a valuable thing and sometimes sport teaches you only to value yourself but actually i think the value in life is how it affects other people and therefore to me again to be true to that proposition you have to look out for other people and help them and and avoid or or reduce harm and create care that to me is really sensible and just normal (laughs) and that's what i think is important to do now because this to me the climate and ecological emergency the health of our planet is the foundation upon which everything else rests you know so looking after that is logically sensible you know do you also feel the way that i do that of course i would rather not live in a time where civilization is at stake but i can't change the past and this is where we are now and the opportunity to help others is greater than ever before. Mm. That, you know, I'd rather not live in this time, of course, but I don't feel like I'm giving something up that I'm not doing what I would have done before when it also dawned on me. This is the time to act was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, but here we are now and people haven't been acting. Mm. That this is one of the most important times and places to act. Oh, I mean, I think I'm completely, I think it's undisputable. We are now alive in you know even this year might argue you know these years around us now are pivotal years in the history of civilization you know and i believe passionately that the work i'm doing is some of the most important work in the history of civilization because if we are not successful then civilization is you know going to struggle and if it survives in whatever form it does the suffering in its wake will be incredibly huge you know there will you know, will be huge amounts of suffering. And so for me, I have to be honest, I am, I do wish I had a simpler life and I could just go around, you know, coaching, canoeing and, you know, doing all these things. But I'm like, no, these times, we're we're in these times, we're not chosen, you know, we don't get to choose when we live. You know, we are now here. We have, again, I think a feeling of like, this is it, you know, what else are you going to do? What is the most, what else can I do with my life? What is sensible to do with my life? The answer is I don't can't think of anything else, and I think it, 
it is no doubt difficult and hard. You know, sport is also very difficult and hard. It's this is a different sort of difficult and hard. But to me, it's like there is a lot of beauty and a lot of good things to come out of doing hard things in a authentic and dedicated human way. And I kind of think that's what I'm doing right now, or I'm trying to do. And I think there's no other, there's no sense in doing anything else. So yeah, I do think, yeah, you can't have everything, but at the same time, this is really good things to be doing. So I'm, I'm happy to be doing it. I can't see anything else more sensible, more responsible to do in my life. And hopefully it works. <laughs> is it a bit mystifying to you? I mean, it, it all makes sense and I can understand it of why people are still like, look, I just want to go to work and do my thing. And I guess they prefer to, you know, not think about it. Maybe it'll, you know, the scientists will figure it out, but not recognizing that embracing it is, is also transcendent and, and it's about caring and human and helping and support and challenge. Yeah. I mean, I come at it from this sense that I completely understand, you know, it's a triumph of this whole messed up system that we're in that leads people to think they think they needn't bother doing it, you know, that they may as well just carry on and disconnect from it and that they can't do anything about it. And that the truth is very much the opposite. We can do something and there is a value in trying, even if you're not guaranteed to be successful. For me, this idea is, you know, it is tough. And I can understand why people don't want to engage. But at the same time, I think the people who, you know, unfortunately, and I think we're seeing this, I get the sense that people who are not, you know, and this could count for a large number of people, they kind of know that something's wrong and just hiding away from it isn't making them feel good. And there is action, you know, there is medicine in action, I suppose is what I say. You know, I think doing things towards something that matters to you is really good for you. And at the same time, not doing things that you know are probably important to you is actually quite bad for you, you know. And I think that we're unfortunately in a place where a lot of members of our society are hiding from that and it's quite bad for us. It's bad for them as individuals. It's bad for us as a society. And one of the tasks is to explain to people, yeah, you know, sadly, this is the reality, but there's something quite amazing to be done if we can come together because we can help undo this weird misery that's underneath a lot of things in the process of saving ourselves. Yeah, I think of us as twisted up inside of like we're trying to like ignore things that are, we can't ignore. And so we protect ourselves from feeling this dissonance or twisted up inside. Mm. And then a lot of people look at someone who points these things out and they're like, you're, they associate it with that person. And you said at the end of your TEDx talk, something that I've been saying a lot of, you know, there are games that we won and games that we lost. And sometimes we play against a team that was far greater than us, but we played so much above our level and we learn in the process and we may have lost the game, but we played better than we would have. Mm. And well, look, I mean, there's a global pandemic. There's all these things, you know, people are dying. And so it's not like we can avoid it. It's happening, right? The, the ship is hitting, we've hit the iceberg. But how I feel about it is how much have I done relative to my potential? Mm. Yeah. And I still wake up at night sometimes thinking about a game where I gave up in the middle and we lost or, you know, like that's the worst. If I've given my all, I, I can't see anything better than to give my all. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's what sport, I think, kind of teaches you. It's, it is harder in the real world 
because it seems different. But the, the truth is we can do no more than our best. And we live in a place, I suppose, I think sometimes, you know, and, and it is, I had to overcome this programming myself where we're kind of thinking to ourselves, well, this is not going to be good enough. And, you know, I'm going to fail and people are going to look at me as a failure. But really, that's not true. Nobody knows that because human beings can do amazing things. And I do believe that ordinary, you know, amazing is the capacity for amazing is within all human beings because it just can take one tiny little decision for them to say, right, I'm going to do this today or I'm not going to do that today. And all of a sudden, something quite remarkable happens. And that, when you scale that up to, you know, society-wide, community-wide, whatever you want, civilizationally, that is really quite exciting. And I do believe that there's this potential because what we live, the way we're living right now, despite what anyone would say, is not that great, I don't think. And there's some really bad problems. I think people kind of know underneath that it's a bit messed up. They're kind of trying to hide from it a little bit. Some people who are doing very well in this situation probably are like, this is great. But I'm even wondering whether some of them in their dark moments might go, mm, is this as great as it is? And we know from millions and millions of people around the world are really not living good lives. They're really struggling. It's really difficult, really horrible. I think we know we could do better. I think human beings deep down have a almost programmed feeling of what could be and I think we could go towards that very very well and save ourselves in the process and I think that is what fuels me because I do believe we could live far better far happier and continue to survive into the future but not carry on the way we are now because I think we know that that's not working. If you like the show I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act, and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I love what you're sharing. It resonates strongly with me of, of looking, because a lot of people think doom and gloom, and it, it's, there may be that, but what I'm, I'm looking forward to a positive, to change, to connection. I want to go back also to, you talked about a slow dawning on you of the situation. When you think about the environment, especially when you choose to act, what do you think about? Like, are there, are there images or, or stories or experiences that, that stick in your mind and motivate you? I think there's, there's a couple of things that I, I think there's, I have a, a very close friend of mine and I don't have any children. I've not had that. That opportunity hasn't come up for me in my life yet, but they have some children and I look at them and I just, I care for them very deeply. They're almost like my children. I, f- I care for them very, very deeply. And I'm, you know, very, very, very much protective of them and feel like something like a, you know, like a father or something, you know, I, I can understand. I'm not there, you know, I can understand how it'd be much stronger if I was their father, that feeling. But I think to them, myself, I want them to live a good, you know, a nice life. 
maybe not a life like I have now, but a life of sufficiency and contentment where they can actually be happy and, you know, not live in fear and danger, which I think is where, unfortunately, they're headed and we're all headed. So I very much have them in my mind. I also do tend to think about very small and very wide scale in terms of nature. I I sometimes like to think about the very fact of our Earth, our planet, you know, in the vastness of space and time, and the fact that it's so extraordinary. It's extraordinary to this crazy degree of infinity. You know, I don't know how many, you know, how many other planets there are even remotely like ours in the infinite universe. There's probably quite a few, but, you know, that said, as far as we know, we're very, very, very remarkable and unique. And that, to me, is just incredible. The fact that we can think about that, I believe that's just absolutely incredible and also when I look very closely at animals or plants or something in nature and you just see something about the beauty of it you know the incredible complexity of anything that's out there how did that happen how did that come to be and how is it that we can contemplate its complete ruination and not do anything about it so to me I I very much like to think of small scale and just see the beauty in the tiny things, the beauty in people, and also the large scale, the beauty and unlikeliness, if there's such a word, of of our existence. And the fact that all those things are very much worth preserving and fighting, struggling for. As a scientist, I have to ask, when you talk about the small, actually the large too, are there specific animals and plants and and things that like come to mind or were there... I mean, because you said it in a kind of abstract way. Yeah, okay. I'm not, no, I, I'm, I'm one of these people who sees a tree. I don't know, like, the, the species of it and stuff. I'm very bad. My scout leaders would be like, slap me on the head. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I think one of the things that, one of the experiences that I did have a little, when, you know, a few years ago, I, I went snorkeling in the Maldives after the Olympics and just seeing the seas around there, I should expect they're already been degraded a lot to corals and stuff but the variety of life to me you know all the myriad yeah the variety of of life all the different things and the fact that i am not that different than a fish or not that different than a bird and very much not that different from a whale or you know the, and even a tree you know we're related very much in fact to quite a lot of things that are alive but the differences are much smaller than we might imagine. And to me, it's that kind of miracle of, of life and having known a little bit about, you know, how we've evolved and, you know, the miracle of, of well, miracles is perhaps not the right word. I don't know if mixing it all up, but, you know, the, yeah, the incredible process that has led us to be able to even be here, to have this conversation, the complexity of this conversation with the computers and all that. To me, that's what's my, I don't have a particular favourite thing. I just think it's everywhere I look, if I can take a few moments to contemplate it. And that is kind of hard sometimes, to be honest. But if I do, it's very energising. And even just this conversation makes me feel very happy to have a spent time to think about those things, just even just for a moment. So given the, the beauty, the connection, the complexity, the wonder, and also what you said earlier about, I forget how you put it, there's meaning in action, that I invite you, and this is at your option. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. But to think of something to do to act on those feelings. And before you answer, 
a lot of people hear something different than what I'm asking. I'm not saying like, what's the most important thing you can do or what National Geographic says is like the most important thing. It will help the world, but that's the side effect. It's really to act on those feelings. And over the years, talking to a lot of people, I find three things help is something new. So, I mean, it could be something you're doing, but not something that you're planning to do anyway. Something that, that you do yourself with your hands and something that's physical. Because a lot of people say like, oh, I'll read a book or I'll raise my awareness, which is great. Yes. Also taking the next step to doing something. Mm. Yeah. So two things came to mind. First of all, I think, I mean, I live a very, very busy life and I think it's sometimes a bit too busy. So I think trying to find some time for contemplation of the things I've just been talking about is actually just talking about it now has been really medicinal, really nice for me. But I think the other thing that I am quite interested in right now for me, which, you know, what's good for me is good for everybody, I believe, you know, what's good for somebody else is good for me. You know, we're all connected in that way. I am quite interested in, I don't know what it is at the moment. I'm not, I'm not quite decided, but of some sort of expression, I'm sort of thinking, and I've, I've not really shared this with anybody. So you're hearing it scoop. I'm, I'm in scoop. Yeah. <laughs> some sort of dancing or some sort of singing. These are two things I'm actually pretty awful at, apart from after having a few beers. I'm kind of thinking there would be something quite good for me to explore in 2021 about that to give my spirit a expression because in sport I used to do that all the time I did used to feel my spirit soaring when I was racing because I was giving it all and I don't find quite that way of doing that these days in my life and I think this idea of something simple and portable like singing or dancing might because I'm even worse at like art some people might be able to do some paintings but I can't do that for still so I'm thinking yeah something along those lines and I think that would be help me to be more me and that me, me being more me will help other people to be more them and the world to be better in a very small way. But I believe that's kind of how it works. Well, I'm going to share with you something that I'm doing. When I did this with one of my guests before, uh, Vincent Stanley, who's a director at Patagonia, he's been there since 1973, a man full of stewardship. He's lived his life that way. And for his challenge, his thing here, he did something what he did was he said one day, one day a week, he was going to, I forget the details. I think he was going to not turn on any electronics before noon mm. on Fridays, I think it was. And so I asked him how it went. And he said that he, he was more effective getting things done because, you know, not having all the distraction. He also came up with a book of poetry. I mean, he, he'd been a published poet before. Mm. Now I'm training people to, I have this podcast, but there's new offshoots of it forming that other people are hosting it. So there's one in, in England, in Lancaster, I believe. Not too far from where you are, I believe. Yeah, not too far, no. And if you want to do a second episode, you could, I could put you in touch with her. So when I train people to do the podcast, they do it with me and ask me if I can do something. And based on Vincent's writing that poetry, I thought, oh, maybe I'll turn off all my electronics and write some poetry. So I talked to him about the poetry and... I thought poetry kind of interesting. I don't really get poetry that well. So maybe doing it would help me. And then I thought, you know, music, I'd prefer doing maybe play piano, but I don't have a piano and I could buy an electric piano, but I can't very well turn off all my electronics and play something electronic. And so I decided on singing. And so for two weeks, I would turn off everything and sing for 15 minutes. And then that was an amazing experience. And then this group of, of podcast hosts, there's like six or seven of us now, we're now doing, we're continuing that. And so I've been singing every day for the past 
a little over a month now. And about two weeks into it, I decided, see, I was doing it in my apartment. And when it gets dark, I I had to open the door to my hallway and go from the light to the hallway because I'm not using my lights because that's, I'm turning everything off while I'm doing this. Oh, I see. Okay. And then I went, I decided to go out to the park and sing in Washington Square Park. And at first I was like so scared. Someone, I mean, it's New York, right? No one cares. I, I'm not going to, you know, there's no problem. Well, I should expect, yeah, you can pretty much do what you like, can't you? <laughs> Still, when someone goes by, I'm like, I feel self-conscious. But now I'm singing louder. I'm singing more. I, I'm discovering more and more into it. So I, I can't help but share what you said resonates with what I, one of the things that I'm doing right now. Yeah. Well, what do you sing? Do you mind if I ask? Because that's what I wouldn't know what to sing. So the first night I did it, I turned everything off and I was like, all right, I'm about to start singing. And I was like, wait, I don't know any words by heart. Like I know happy birthday, but I'm not going to count happy birthday in the Star Spangled Banner. So mm. the first night, all I could think of was Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, but yeah. then I went on and I went to my music. I put on random and kept hitting forward, forward, forward until I found. So I started with Across the Universe by the Beatles, While My Guitar Gently Weeps by the Beatles. Then there's Big Yellow Taxi, which is paid paradise, you know, a pay, they pay paradise and put up a parking lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Leaving on a Jet Plane, because that was one I remember from growing up. Yeah. Then I got Pictures of You by The Cure and True by Spandau Ballet. And the next one was, um, the most recent one I've added is September by Earth, Wind & Fire. Cool. I have no idea if these are like easy or hard or whatever, but I'm just practicing, rehearsing. I believe that whether... I'm good at it or not, if I keep practicing. Yeah, yeah, I can see that it's good for you. I can see it in your eyes. And, and, I, and I, I believe this is really, yeah, um, it's heartening because I think it's important. I am, I am going to start to think about it rather than just talk about it or think about it. So, so then the next step is um, I propose making, it, making a SMART goal. So something specific, SMART stands for specific measurable achievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, yeah. Okay. That's the scary bit, right? Has to say, do something. <laughs> well, you, I've heard you talk about leading others. And I think support is a big part of it. So I'm, I'm both challenging and supporting you. Yes. How will I do this? I am, yeah, I'm going to have to accept the challenge and I'm going to have to try and, I, I mean, it's easy for me to say, and I don't want to be inauthentic. I have right now, I am going to go away and I'm going to, work out but i i'm i'm convinced of his value but i yeah i just have to yeah i can't say that i'm going to do it tonight or tomorrow because that's just not realistic but it might i might also after this call kind of give myself a bit of a slap around the back of the head and say come on man stop talking do something so no i, I appreciate you josh but I'm, I'm like i don't know when i'm going to do that yet so i'm just gonna to have to be a bit non-committal i'm afraid then what i'm thinking is i mean i'm not saying you have to start now oh but my next thing after a smart goal would be to say, could we schedule another conversation to hear how it went, mm. which could be a week, a month, a year, 10 years from now. But do you think you could, could we schedule time and you share how things went? I will have done it in a year. A year? Absolutely. If I haven't, then it's not worth talking about. We should just expunge this whole last 15 minutes from the record, pretend it was never said a waste of air. If I, if I haven't done it by a year... Then, uh, then it would have been not worth talking about. So I can definitely commit to that, hundred percent. Okay. So then, after we hang up, or after we stop recording, but before I hang up, I will schedule with you for one year's time to have a second conversation. Yeah, man. If that's cool, that's a deal. And I'll also say that since when I started saying smart, you were like, I know what that is. Then yeah. I'll trust that you can make a smart goal for yourself. Yes. When you come up with it, I'd love to 
if, you, if you're up for it to do you mind emailing me and letting me know what, what it, yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. 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 And if anything comes up before the year and you feel like, Hey, let's do the second conversation earlier. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't get that. Yeah. That's a good chance. I think that's uh, fair enough. Okay, cool. So I look forward to hearing, and I'm going to share with you. So now that we've talked about singing, I'm going to share with you some of my singing stuff. Actually, I have to, um, I recorded my voice after that first night when I sang for 15 minutes of just Born to Run or I think it was Born to Run, Got a Wife and Kids in Baltimore, Jack. Anyway, I, I recorded my voice so I could have a before. I see, yes. Two nights ago, I was about to record my intermediate, like after one month, because I was coming back from singing outdoors. I, I like went down to the Hudson River and I was singing loud, louder than I ever had before. And I just felt really joyful. And I came back, it was a little late. I didn't record that night. Soon enough, I'll record like my middle step. And at some point I'm going to have to put on for my podcast, I do episodes with guests like this one. I also do solo episodes where it's just me talking about reflections. And I'm going to have to post for the world to hear my before and after of me singing. Good on you. Credit to you. I can tell you that's brave stuff. Yeah. I'm really scared. Well, I'm scared, but then... You don't care at the same time because it's good for you. Well, I know... I mean, it's not quite the same as what you were talking about before of, of when you go through that, that exercise that, you know, you're going to, you just want to lie in the shower and just, it's not going to be that physical experience. But I also know, I mean, you've seen the before and after pictures of people and you're like, it's something to feel great about. So I, I'm really scared to do it, but I'm going to do it. And I'll send you a link to that. me as exactly the sort of person who's going to manage this. And I, I do believe my, all my experiences in my own entire life has been when you're scared, you're normally less, much less scared once you've done it. And then you realize it wasn't that scary. I'm sure. I'm, I'm believing you, man. Not knowing you for that well, but I can tell you're going to manage. Well, I'll send you a link to it and you'll get to hear it. And <sighs> you'll get to say like, well, he's not that good yet, but he's on his way. <laughs> uh, well, I won't judge you because you've not heard me singing either. So um, well, maybe we'll do a duet someday. <laughs> so let's wrap up there on some laughs on both sides. Is there anything I didn't think to ask that's worth bringing up or anything to say directly to the listeners? Well, I, yeah, I suppose my, my exhortation to your listeners and to us all is to be, and this is, I'm talking to myself as well here, is to be as courageous as I can be, as you can be in opening yourself to the truth, to what that means to you and to the people you care about, to me and the people I care about, and then endeavoring to act in accordance with that truth. And in to me, that is all I would ask anybody to do, you know, is like, and, and I, you know, my, as obviously my belief is that my understanding is that this planet, we're killing it. Everything we want to do depends on it surviving and everything we want for everybody else depends on it surviving. So therefore that is the truth that I am trying to accommodate and trying to live up to and trying to respond to. And I'm not perfect, but I'm going to try my best. And that's kind of my guarantee and my my invitation and my ask of everybody. That's it. Well, Etienne Stott, thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. For Etienne to say that he is doing the most important work of his life after dedication to reach a global pinnacle reinforces to me how valuable stewardship is in our world right now. Yes, it would be nice to live in a world that wasn't so polluted, where we had plenty of time to act. That's not the world we live in. I spent many years waiting for someone else, anyone else, to act. Someone else causes problems. Why can't someone else fix it? 
Nothing seems fair about it. People before us got to do so much profligate wasting. Now we can't do those things. And in fact, we have to make up for what they did. It just doesn't seem fair. Yet Etienne, who is experienced, can you imagine winning a gold medal for your nation? So he's experienced so much reward for him to share that what any of us can do to avoid flying, to change our diet, that the biggest thing is to motivate people around us, to lead others. These things, they save time, they save money. Anyone can do these things. The point is, it's acting in service of everyone. It's putting yourself in the background, yes, but acting in service of others, it creates that joy, connection, community, that sense of service, that sense of honor. It's amazing. However many people call what I do extreme, role models like Etienne remind me that helping others is not extreme. It's just the start. The more that you do, the more that you'll find you want to do, the more you'll get out of it, the more people will follow. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.